This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Welcome to this week's episode of Burn It All Down. It's the feminist sports podcast you need. During this COVID-19 pandemic, we at Burn It All Down are extending our love and solidarity with those who are on the front lines of every sector, those who cannot stay home, those who are working from home, those staying in, caretakers, parents, animal lovers, folks in every community, providing support systems online and where you can. Also to those missing sports, feeling isolated or trapped. We hope this show gives you something to think of, to laugh about, and, well, burn. I'm Shireen Ahmed, freelance writer and sports activist in Toronto, Canada, and leading the toxic femininity charge today. On this week's panel, we are all here. And we have the fiery and brilliant Dr. Amira Rose Davis, forever escape room champion and assistant professor of history and African-American studies at Penn State. Jessica Luther, weightlifter extraordinaire, my fave PhD candidate slash croissant maker, and co-author of the forthcoming book, Loving Sports When They Don't Love You Back. She's in Austin, Texas. Dr. Brenda Elsie, president of the Feminist for Leo Messi fan club, undeniable genius and associate professor of history at Hofstra University in New York. And the indomitable and brilliant Libsy Gibbs with the most beautiful laugh and the mightiest pen, freelance sports reporter and creator of Power Plays newsletter, Sign up at powerplays.news. She's in D.C. Before I start, we would like to thank our patrons for their generous support and to remind our new flamethrowers about our Patreon campaign. You pledge a certain amount monthly, as low as $2 and as high as you want, to become an official patron of the podcast. In exchange for your monthly contribution, you get access to special rewards. With the price of a latte a month, you can get access to extra segments of the podcast, a monthly vlog, an opportunity to record on the burn pile, only available to those in our Patreon community. So far, we have been able to solidify funding for proper editing and transcripts, our social media guru Shelby, and drumroll, <laughs> our new producer, Kinsey Clark. Kinsey Clark is a writer and podcast producer in Brooklyn, New York, whose love of sports extends from cheering on the Michigan State Spartans to celebrating the annual Puppy Bowl. We are so, so excited that she's joining our show, and her mastery in audio production has us thrilled Woo! and sounding better than ever. Burn It All Down is a labor of love, and we all believe in this podcast, and we're so grateful for your support and happy that our flamethrowing family has grown. When can I we cheer? A- <laughs> <laughs> cheer, sorry. We all really need Yay. something to cheer about. Cheer, <laughs> we have a kick-ass show for you this week. A discussion on 
women's sports and how they're being affected by this global pandemic. I have an interview with my fave WNBA basketball player, Kia Nurse, on the postponement of the Olympics. And Brenda interviews Dr. Natalia Malman Patrozella on fitness neoliberalism during the COVID-19 pandemic. Before we get started, let's talk a little about opening day in baseball. Amira? No. Opening day. Um, no. I, <laughs> I mean, so um, friend of the pod, Shakia Taylor, had a great tweet about wearing baseball jerseys to recognize opening day, even though there was no baseball games played. And it was a wonderful thread. A lot of people posted them in their jerseys. And I was totally going to participate. And then I grabbed my Red Sox jersey and it was Mookie's jersey. And I just cried Aww. instead. And then between... Mookie leaving and Dave leaving and the pending investigation and and Cora's outster. Like, I just am not super ready for this baseball season. I'm not hype about it. Good news for you then, Amira. (laughs) I'm mostly just frustrated. And I had been distracted by all this other stuff that I hadn't really ruminated on the fact that my favorite players were traded away until opening day. So... The answer to your question is no. Well, the good news, Amira, is <laughs> okay. baseball. Jessica? Oh, I, I, anyone who listens to this podcast for any amount of time knows I'm not a baseball person, so I don't have any personal feelings. But man, this Amira, there's not even live sports in the breaking your heart. I know. <laughs> I'm dying. I'm like, how? What? Oh, oh man. Once, so Amira, like, you don't want it to happen. And it, guess what? It's not. <laughs> like, that's the good news. <laughs> I just like don't know what to, uh, the, I will say the silver lining is that I did get the um I collect pop bobbleheads and I did get the Mookie one for like five dollars because he left the team. So there, there you, you go. go. There you go. Uh, okay. 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 On to the show. Jessica, can you get us started on our first segment, please? Yeah, of course. So COVID-19 continues to spread throughout the world. Lots of countries are on some version of lockdown. The last time I checked, which was Saturday evening, March 28th, over 660,000 people have been infected around the world and nearly 31,000 people have died from the virus. Of course, that's with limited testing in a lot of places. So months in, we still don't have an accurate understanding of how widespread this virus is. And while lots of places are on lockdowns, economies are stretched thin Workers are being furloughed and laid off. People are struggling. Sports are not exempt from this. As we are all well aware, there have been almost no live sports over the last two weeks, and it's not clear when a lot of leagues and teams are going to resume. This last week, we finally, finally, finally got word that the International Olympic Committee is postponing the 2020 Summer Games that were to take place in Japan. They postponed them until the summer of 2021. You can hear Shireen's interview with Canadian basketball player Kia Nurse later in the show about this. All of this has us here at Burn It All Down concerned about the future of women's sports as they have historically been and are presently being under-resourced and underfunded. They were in a precarious position before this global pandemic. So I'm going to kick this segment off um, about women's sports by holding my nose and talking about the Olympics in a positive way. I think one thing the Olympics does that matters a lot is that it gives women's sports a showcase on an international level. 
I don't necessarily believe that that payoff is worth it, but I do think we have to acknowledge that the loss for women's sports in particular with the pushback of the Olympics, I keep thinking about how at least if the games were going to happen, the momentum the World Cup gave women's soccer last year would be sustained a year later in part by the lead up to the Olympics and the Olympics themselves. We've talked repeatedly on this program about the way in which U.S. women's national team knew that to bolster their lawsuit, which is ridiculous, but still bolster their lawsuit against U.S. soccer playing well and winning the World Cup would help them because of the international attention on sport. Uh, There are a lot of athletes whose efforts are funded by their participation in the games. Their sponsorship deals are tied into the fact that they will be appearing on televisions. And don't forget, it was not it was only a year ago, not not even right, uh, that we learned that Nike, the biggest one out there with all the money, was willing to drop top female athletes, including Allison Felix, because she because they got pregnant. So I'm just I'm very worried about the ripple effects from this postponement for women, even as I think that postponement was absolutely the right thing to do. It's more that I don't trust Olympic committees and national governing boards and companies who sponsor athletes to be equitable in their responses to it. Shreen. Yeah, thanks so much for that, Jess. I'm just going to sort of mention, I read in Lindsay's newsletter this week, and thank you so much for that incredible work, Lens and Power Plays. Um, an interview had with Gwen Berry, who was also a guest on the show, and Mira had interviewed her a couple episodes back. And what she said, and so this is a dark quote from Gwen Berry, it's impacting me a lot financially because I think a lot of the sponsors have pulled out because a lot of the sponsors athletes only for the Olympic Games. For me, a lot of my sponsors pulled out. Also, there's no competitions. And track and field athletes rely on those competitions for income. So if no competitions, no games for the exposure, we have nothing. We literally have no income. So a lot of athletes will go back to work. I will probably be one. I have to look for another job here in Houston. I used to work at Dick's Sporting Goods and I used to do Postmates. So I'll probably find something else to do that I will hold that will hold me over until the end of the year at least. End quote. Um, there was another article that I wanted to just sort of highlight. Lori Ewing, who's a friend of the show, and Donna Spencer co-wrote this for CBC. And it was just sort of talking about the thin financial margins of Canadians, the Canada's Olympic. Olympic athletes. And it specifically talks a lot, a lot about women and because women are usually on the shorter end of the stick anyway. And this was featuring Sarah Pavin and Melissa Humana Parades, who are beach volleyball players. And even their, um, their volleyball season was cut totally short. And, you know, Humana Parades said that this is the majority of her income. So she doesn't really know what she's going to do. And they haven't even qualified to get to the Olympics yet, although they're ranked quite high. And she said the prize money from tournaments was my main source of income. So hopefully some of the tournaments will get a postponement to a later time. But she said, quote, again, there's so many unknowns and I think everyone's just in a financial pinch. So they're all feeling that. Amira? Yeah, I just wanted to piggyback on this point that you were talking with Gwen's wonderful quote. Thank you for that newsletter, Lindsay. Um, You know, a lot of people 
have planned for the kind of financial benefits that were coming this year. And when you plan your life out in a four-year increment, one year for us might say, okay, we have to wait a year to watch this, but it's really been disruptive. My friend um, Kamali, who was a prospective fencer for the Olympic team, uh, we went to college together. Um, She's both a medical student and was training for the Olympics. So she actually put medical school on hold to train in this way. And one of the things that's happened is like, what do you do for the year? Do you do you keep training? Do you juggle your studies? Um, the whole kind of apparatus is disrupted. Um, and, you know, I was talking with Gwen and she was like, I, I don't know what else to do other than take it day by day. But I think that that's such like an important point to really double down on, like the extreme disruption it did for people in terms of their planning their lives, but also their kind of financial stability. For sure. Lens? Yeah. I mean, so for the newsletter, I tried to talk to just a bunch of athletes from across the sports world. And as well as, you know, it's not just female athletes that are, uh, you know, impacted. It's women in sports broadcasting, women um, who are in the media, in journalism, you know, in a course of college. Um, so it's it, it's just amazing how much it impacts everyone and how much for women, family is such a bigger part of their decision, I think, than men. Now that men don't have to think about family, but for women, family planning and family care obviously disproportionately impacts women, those in women's sports. So even like sports reporters who are planning on traveling this year and this being their big travel year, but then maybe next year they were planning on having a family and now they're thinking, well, will I get these opportunities to travel again? So, you know, it's just been really eye-opening for me to look at, like, how much I think this will really hurt women in sports. Um, And we're already seeing it. So, obviously, there's the financial bit to it with the Olympics being canceled, um, and that's a direct thing. Or with seasons being canceled, Elizabeth Williams, who will be on a special episode from the week that that has already been posted that you all will be able to hear um, Elizabeth Williams from the WNBA talking. And she said that, you know, this is the time that a lot of players overseas in women's basketball are getting their big playoff bonuses or getting bonuses for making the, the MVP or the, you know, all-stars and all those things. And of course those bonuses won't come this year. And it honestly, a lot of the, Players are probably going to have to fight through FIBA, the International Basketball Association, just to get paid, period. And in England, we're already seeing, so the Football Association is already preparing. It's already told struggling women's Super League and women's championship teams that there's no financial support available. And so the league is kind of on hold through August right now. Like it's said that it has to be completed by August or it won't be completed. And these are the top two tiers for women in the FA. And it's unfortunately up to these individual clubs. Like there's, they're not being given individual support. So the ones that are backed by the big name men's teams will, will probably be, able to sustain the hit um, and continue to pay its players. But the others um, might have to, are probably going to have to fold their teams all together. And the FA also just completely canceled the, I don't, I'm going to be very American here and very non-soccer and say like, I don't completely understand the, the tier system as much as I should, but they have canceled the tiers three through seven without 
of the women's game without any talk or any discussion with any of the clubs. They just canceled it. So this is really going to impact the depth of women's football. It's going to impact the stability and the sustainability of a sport that is, it's not like we have a, we're creeping up the hill. We've got like enough momentum right now to like glide up the hill if everything keeps going. But it's not like there's a fucking engine you know, fueling us like the women have been pushing themselves up the hill. And now it's like everything's being taken away. And it's scary. Brenda. Yeah, I mean, I don't I, I don't think that there's enough momentum to go up that hill, really, um, in most of the world. And this isn't to be negative, but it's to, <laughs> but it's to recognize how much, like, fundamentally, the structures are stacked against women's football some of the rules that have made it possible to for those women to make some traction are things like the FIFA demanding or Comebol demanding certain things. So like, for example, Comebol, which governs all of South American football, made it necessary for every team that wanted to compete in the regional club competition for men to have a women's side. Okay, so that change came four years ago, and that was absolutely fundamental. Now, what they're saying, what FIFA is saying, and what all the governing bodies are saying, and this was featured in the New York Times and beyond, is that they're going to have to make regulatory changes to help men's football recover financially. So we have to be very vigilant and careful about what changes they're going to slip into things. And when you say, Linz, and it was such a good point, and I'm so glad that that you explained it when, when you said that, you know, that they're doing this without any consultation, like people are finding out about this on the, on the internet or whatever. Not only will this be done without consultation, it will be done so that, so that we don't even know it will be like fine printed all the way through. I mean, I know how these structures work. One of the things that FIFA is saying is they're going to change the transfer window, the way that the transfers are done, because there, there's like a restriction on when and how you can do it. And it accounts for about $7 billion every time it happens. And when it happens, everybody gets a cut. And so the, those are the types of things they're thinking about that's unprecedented, that's never happened, that they've ever changed or said that they're going to change this because they regulate it so hard. So look for those regulatory changes to mean things like, oh, we're going to loosen up how development money gets spent, you know, because of coronavirus. So now we used to say, okay, this is the first year that women have to have it earmarked. Now look for them to do things like ease up on those things, which we're trying to get them, as Lynn said, up that hill, right? And then the final thing I just want to say, and this should just make us all even, and I'm sorry, because I don't want to make people more upset during this pandemic. (laughs) If you can believe it, FIFA said actually to the top 20 European clubs that FIFA may have to dip into its reserves to help the club. Oh, oh, <laughs> I mean, oh, oh, but, how horrible. But you're fucking of kidding dollars? me? You never had money to help a single women's professional club? And you're going to help the wealthiest clubs? It's preposterous. It's wow. outrageous. So anyway, those are the, the types of things. If I think we need to say if FIFA can reach into its pockets to find ways to help multi-billion dollar owners in Europe, 
they should be able to find a way to help women's football to not die on the vine. It never fails to strike me at how quickly, whenever we talk about FIFA, definitely transitions into a pseudo burn pile. Amira? Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm similarly focused on things that could be shut down or things that change um, and the ways that institutions kind of get cover from COVID-19 to do cuts that were already happening. Um, and so in particular right now, I'm paying a lot of attention to women's programs and athletic programs overall at historically black colleges and universities. HBCUs are going to be hit very hard by COVID-19 and the and closures could come for a lot of these institutions that have been kind of teetering in terms of um, stability and, and financial ability to con- keep running. One of the things we've seen already happen over the last few years is the ending of athletic programs. And a lot of women's teams have been included in these cuts that have been interesting ways in which they've cut like a women's team, but tried to remain Title IX compliant in certain instances. So in the last few years alone, North Carolina A&T dropped women's swimming, Hampton dropped women's bowling, North Carolina Central dropped women's bowling again. And so they, they've been able to do this by saying, oh, these are fringe sports, but this puts a lot of other sports and really institutions on the chopping block. And we're even seeing HBCUs that have historically been quite protected, like Howard, come under a kind of microscope as other people use this as political, you know, football. In particular, this week, you saw arguments and discussions over the proposed stimulus bill, and you saw a lot of Republican representatives single out Howard and the part of the relief package that indicated that they were getting $13 million. They singled out Howard and said, hmm, like, why is this? Why does it need to go to Howard? This is not at all about COVID-19. And it completely ignored the fact that one, Howard has a hospital, a hospital that's one of DC's treatment facilities, a hospital that's two miles from the Capitol, where a lot of these asinine people are making these arguments. And it's a level one trauma center. Not only that, Howard is a federally funded institution because DC is not a state, hashtag taxation without representation or whatever. But also because because of that, Howard has historically been protected because the federal government um, is the one that's giving it its appropriation largely. And so you see now even Howard is kind of falling into this thing where their appropriation is being called into question which, you know, it's funny given the fact that the other federally funded institutions in D.C., such as the school that is geared to deaf and hard and hearing, nobody said anything about their appropriation. Like this is it's just political showmanship. But we saw this week Howard's women's soccer team, for instance, do a fun kind of video passing, juggling toilet paper to each other. And so even sports at these institutions are really going to be squeezed. And it particularly bothers me given the long history of women's programs at historically black colleges and universities. Obviously, this is what I study. But I mean, we're talking about institutions that were the first institutions to provide scholarships for women athletes well before Title IX, when no white university was doing this. They were creating these programs, competitive athletics and funding them. And so to see them particularly squeezed and what I fear will be kind of permanent erasure is particularly you know, troubling in this moment. 
Thanks, Samira. I'm just going to jumping off of what Amira is saying about like squeezing and reducing programs potentially is there's the Canada Women's Sevens was scheduled for May 2nd and 3rd. It's a rugby tournament and the only rugby tournament in the world outside of like a world series that's held by world rugby and it's women's only. And the problem with this is that we see a lot. It's not that it's only been postponed. It's that they don't know when it will be rescheduled. And this affects, you know, the athletes themselves. They don't know if they work, if they can work, when it'll be, how do they train? And I get into a little bit of that with my interview with Kia, but just the point of it's unprecedented is the word that we keep hearing and what that looks like. But I mean, there's a huge amount of anxiety that arises here with that word unprecedented because people don't know there's no policy for this. I mean, it can be really, really stressful. So just, you know, we just want to recognize all the athletes out there. We see you, we hear you. And, you know, everyone's super frustrated. Linz? Yeah. And I mean, as we know, so the NCAA is sending out all their money to schools and it's going to be about $350 million less than these, a lot of these schools were counting on. So once again, as Brenda was saying, like, we're just going to monitor every single thing about where these cuts are coming to and whether, you know, how they're impacting women. And I know it's something we are going to continue to do on this show because uh, they're not, they're not going to be enough (laughs) people monitoring this because I have a feeling people are going to be much more concerned about, you know, the salaries, the millions of dollars that the men are making. But One thing I am excited about is that the WNBA has decided to go forward with its draft on April 17th. So it's going to be held completely virtually. It will be uh, aired live on ESPN, though it was originally scheduled for ESPN2. And there was about a 24-hour thing where everyone was like, "Um, there are literally no live sports happening right now. (laughs) (laughs) can we not and uh, i think howard had a good point howard mcdull friend of the show where it was like it wasn't necessarily even malicious it's just this hierarchy is so ingrained into things that people don't even think to like question it like there was like undetermined movie scheduled to be aired on ESPN like while the uh, WNBA draft was happening. But anyways, there was some criticism because we're still waiting on some stuff on NCAA eligibility. Obviously, we don't even know what the WNBA season is going to look like. But for me, this is a smart and savvy move by them. The league has a lot of momentum coming off of its new CBA and it's exciting free agency season. I know that there's so many people really pumped and this gives, I mean, there's going to be nothing else live sports happening. Like this is something that people can talk about and write about and goodness it burn all down and it power plays and making sure that they do. So I think it's really smart of the, the league. I'm excited to just have something that signals that there might be a future of sports one day, something hopeful well, <laughs> to look forward to. Well, Lindsay, if you want a future of sports, do I have <laughs> something for you? I don't know if you guys all heard that the big three is partnering with Big Brother to create a coronavirus reality TV basketball tournament. <laughs> no, I did not hear this. Well, yes, Ice Cube and the big three. <laughs> so wait, 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 I'm sorry. Can you, re- yes. can you repeat that phrase? Red is a mad lib yes, to me. Yes, I will. Like <laughs> the big three is partnering mm-hmm. with Big Brother to create mm-hmm. a reality TV 
basketball tournament <laughs> that is slated to go in May. This is Ice Cube and the Big Three. Their proposal would be to take a certain number of people, it's undecided, and make sure they're all testing negative first and foremost. And then what they would do after they all test negative is quarantine them together in a house that has a basketball court. And the show would follow the basketball tournament in the teams of three, but also the kind of living and mingling together in the house. And um, <laughs> so there's that. But just in case, you know, this does happen and you do need women's sports fix, you'll be pleased to know that there's talks of, quote unquote, possibly also including top women players in the tournament. So there's that. I love I love that even given all this, we still only get a possibly maybe. Possibly maybe women. (laughs) (laughs) The world is ending, so maybe they'll be there. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. Okay. Next up, my interview with Kia Nurse. Hello, flamethrowers. It's Shireen here, and I am so happy to have one of my all-time favorite guests, a Burn It All Down, on again with us, Kia Nurse. Welcome. Thanks. I'm so glad to be back. Kia Nurse has risen to the top of the basketball world in short order. After four incredibly successful seasons with the University of Connecticut Huskies, whom I stand, Hamilton, Ontario's Kian Nurse was picked 10th overall in the WNBA 2018 draft class by the New York Liberty. And after a college career, which included two national titles, in addition to several individual accomplishments, Kia's highly anticipated pro career has already seen her named a WNBA All-Star starter in only her second season. She also won the 2019 and 2020 WNBL championships with the University of Canberra Capitals in Australia and was named the league's MVP in the 2020 season. And you know that from shoutouts on Burn It All Down as well. Kia remains a staple in the backbone of the Canadian National Women's Program, having made her first appearance at age 16. Now at 24, Kia has her sights set on the 2021 Olympics, hopefully, in Tokyo. (laughs) And her amazing attitude on and off the court has definitely made her a fan favorite and a global circus superstar, not to mention she is a connoisseur of ketchup chips. Hello. (laughs) Very right. All all of that was very right. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, no Tokyo this year. What was that like for you to hear? I know that you shared a tweet that you felt and you shared that it was, you think it was the best decision. What was that ride like? Yeah, it was like a very crazy 24 hours. And we're already in such a time of uncertainty, right? And so to be adding extra levels of stress was unnecessary. But, you know, I think obviously with the COC and the decision that was made there, that was a really bold move and a huge step in leadership on the world stage from Canada. And I think they took an athlete-centered view, and that's something that you want as an athlete, and and that's a type of organization you want to play for. You know, I I think that moment, hearing that we weren't going, and, you know, just hearing it from social media, that was really, really disheartening and and obviously upsetting because in, in that moment, you're thinking, all right, bigger picture, yes, there's so many issues happening right now because of this pandemic and the health and the safety and the wellness of everybody is of the utmost priority. And we understand that. And we know that I don't want to put myself at risk because I don't want to put my family at risk either. And so it was the right decision in that sense. 
like the Olympics and the IOC needed to come to that conclusion as well. Um, I think the toughest part about it was that like your fate, the fate of your Olympic dreams and your Olympic hopes are now in the hands of the IOC. I've never met anybody on the IOC. I don't have much influence on them. So it's not like I can call them up like, hey, can you do this so we can play? That's where it, it was super hard to deal with. But I think like the 24 hours and then them flipping it and saying they were just postponing it. Like I understand this causes a couple complications, um, obviously scheduling wise, but for certain athletes, like maybe they can't go another year to be able to, to qualify because their bodies just aren't allowing them to do that at this point. So like my heart hurts for them. Um, but at the same time, I'm grateful just to have the opportunity to know, like we got through all those tournaments. We went through the four years of having to qualify for an Olympics. So we got guaranteed Tokyo. And then you took it away from us. And now you're saying we can have it back. So that's where you become like a little bit more grateful in the sense of, yeah, it's a year down the road, but we have an opportunity to still reach our Olympic dreams. Yeah, that's that's really profound and important. So just based on what you're saying, and this was actually a question that Jessica wanted me to ask. So how much do Canadian athletes actually know about the decision for the COC to not send athletes before it was made public? Did y'all know or did you really find out via social media? Personally, I found out via social media. Wow. And my team, okay. Me and my teammates did. I think we, well, we got an email from our, our federation, or it's not our federation, Canada Basketball, kind of, a co- I think a couple minutes before, but if you're not checking your emails as frequently as some people do, that's not my first way of looking at things. So had I actually opened the email notification on my phone, I would have been a little bit more prepared. But yeah, for some of us, and obviously for some other athletes, which I think I've seen on social media as well, that was kind of the only way we knew. Um, And that was a little bit um, tough. But at the same time, like, I understand there's you telling an entire federation what you're about to do, it's hard to like keep that under wraps, especially with something as big as this decision is. So there's like, there's an understanding to there too. But I would have liked not Twitter. <laughs> I appreciate you saying that about social media and knowing a little bit ahead of time. Would this have been your first Olympics? No, this would have been my second. So I went okay. to Rio in 2016. Right. But the problem with the, well, not the problem, but the hardest part about the, being an Olympian is that because it's such a four-year process and you have no idea whether you're going to get past the first tournament, let alone all six or five or six that you have to get through to get to the Olympics, that's where it gets like no matter who is going through these Olympic trials, whether it's your first time, and I feel for those who it was their first time, or whether it's your last time, then I really feel for those people. Um, that's probably like super disheartening to hear news like that from like not the word of mouth. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that, you know, in addition to, you said that you had played all your tournaments in addition to those who haven't even had a chance to qualify. Like I know for beach volleyball, a lot of the players had to, they've postponed and canceled all their qualifying tournaments, but the Canadian women's basketball team, you guys had already played everything, right? Yeah, there was about 50, I think it was like 53% of Canadians who have qualified already in their sport. And then or sports in general, the Olympics, and there's like another like 40-something percent that haven't. But you guys were pretty, you were in the stages. So where were you before this this came down? Were you heading to camp or were you preparing to go to camp or like what was happening in your life before uh, this whole pandemic really? Yeah, I was actually, I was in Australia and when we went to the Olympic qualifiers in Belgium in February, I remember saying to my teammates, because 
some of them are on the Australian national team. So they were going to France to qualify. And I remember saying to them, like, there's a virus going on. And I feel like we should be like, paying attention to the fact that we're traveling and like, do I need a mask? Do I need like this? And I'm like, I went out to the grocery store there and I bought wipes and I bought hand sanitizers. And like, do we, we had masks because we had the wildfires in Australia. So I'm like, do I need more masks? Okay. Oh, wow. Okay. And they were kind of like, well, yeah, I mean, I understand what's happening. And one of my teammates who came back with the Australian team actually ended up getting sick. So she was in quarantine when she came back as soon as she got off the plane. And that was kind of scary in that sense. So then we played through the rest of our season. That was the start of playoffs. Played through that. And then it was time to come home. It wasn't like crazy when it was time to come home for me yet. I was probably like a week before they started doing travel bans and whatnot. So okay. I, was, okay. I was okay, like just getting on my flights and having a lot of options to come home. Okay. Um, so it's then, not like you had to like leave suddenly Australia and then no, run home. Yeah, I was ready to go. And well, I was, I was actually ready to go a couple of days earlier than that. But um, we had some like team events and, and end of year ceremonies to finish off. And that's when I got home. Like I was in court, I knew I was in self quarantine when I got home, but then it kind of got a little bit crazier as I've been here. Right. Right. Do you think the preparations, uh, like, are you happy as an athlete? And also just as a Canadian with what's happening around you? I mean, it's hard to say because, but as someone who's traveled in different places, like you noting that the virus was there, did you notice like via V Australia versus Europe versus Canada, what's happening? Although understandably you're in different places at different stages of this pandemic, but have you noticed a difference in the way things are being handled? Yeah, well, I have my friends in Australia that I still talk to on a daily basis. And, you know, they're asking me, well, what's it look like there? Is everything shut down? Like, we're not allowed to be in the gyms. Their season, they have an off season there that just got canceled entirely. Um, So, like, we've kind of been having conversations there. And then obviously, like, I have my boyfriend who's in the States, and um, he's dealing with what's going on there as well. So I can see the differences. And at the same time, I'm sitting here waiting for um, the WNBA, which is based out of the US to tell me what we're going to do. And, and I'm looking at their numbers and what's happening there. And I'm like, well, this isn't good. It's not going any, it's not going to be here anytime soon. So, you know, you, you kind of see what's happening and you hear about it differently from the different people that I've been around. Um, but I'm, I'm pretty like, I'm happy with what Canada is doing and understanding that we're trying to take as many steps as possible to prevent as much as we can. Like, I think we understand that this is going to come and it's going to come in its wave. But the more proactive that we are about it, the less deafening that it can be for us. So I've seen, you know, obviously we've had issues with people understanding what social distancing is. <laughs> but I think we're trying our best to make sure that um, we're protecting each other and we're protecting the health and safety of everybody within Canada. So, you know, I think we're doing, yeah, obviously with Trude- Trudeau's doing a good job of speaking about it. I think we're, there's some interesting things that are happening, even um, Ford's surprising people, right? Like he's doing some interesting things that I think are going to help with the spread. I did not, I did not expect that. Like I, you know, truth be told, I'm not a fan of that guy or for those that don't know, Doug Ford is the premier of Ontario, but he declared a state of, he didn't declare a state of emergency, but he shut down non-essential businesses in this province and is actually so wildly comforting is deferring to public health specialists and doctors, which is so important right now and not what we see in other places in the world. So 
that's I, yeah, I was very shocked about that. I mean, it's hard for me to say nice things about Doug Ford, but like I appreciate and I get what you're saying. Like I totally get. Now, just on the WNB that you were talking about, this is also a question from Jessica. How does one prep for a potential WNBA season mentally and physically when it's not even clear when that will be happening? Like, what do yeah. you do to keep up? It's a lot of mental preparation, I would say. Like, obviously, physical preparation as well. But I can only do so many sprints in my front yard and then like do so many kettlebell swings and whatnot, right? Like, I think what we're trying to really remember as athletes is you've spent, you know, this whole time overseas or wherever you have been building up, physically building up your strength. And whether you were in season or out of season, your body is where it was when your season ends, right? So like, it's not going to just automatically go back to like, three years ago what you were um so it's just about maintaining the gains that we've had and the the pushes forward that we've had so you can do that a lot with body weight stuff and low weight stuff or whatever low equipment that you have at your house i think that's something that helps me mentally is like i'm not gonna lose all of the muscle that i just built up i'm gonna just try and maintain it it might be slower like i'm not gonna see as much of a difference but i'm just my job here is to maintain so that i can stay in shape and that i can stay healthy physically And then on the mental side, it's like the longest waiting game on earth, which is like the entire, it's every aspect of life right now is the longest waiting game on earth. So you're kind of sitting here like, well, they can't give me a definite date because we can't, nobody can give, health officials can't give a definite date. So like, I understand. Um, So I'm just sitting here waiting. I think every email I've ever read in the last like three months has been like, we're monitoring the situation. We're monitoring. And I'm like, yep, we are. We're still monitoring here. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's important as long as we're just having conversations and they're keeping us in the loop of, well, this is what we're doing. Obviously, we have the WNBA draft now is being put on virtual. And that's, you know, that was yeah. something that was told to us. So that's a step in the right direction. We're still pushing towards a hope of this season going off, whether it be two or three months down the line, I think they just have contingency plans to keep pushing it further back to the point where, okay, well, we can't have a season if it's this far back. Yeah, just on that, there's another question I wanted to ask you about the hopefully new season post-draft and um, just about the draft being online. Like for you, I remember you were a guest on episode 70, which is one of my favorite episodes. Um, And you talked about how that experience was for you and the draft class was so pivotal in your journey in in professional basketball. For those that have to miss it, I mean, it's great that it's online. Do you have any advice for those or like, you know, can you commiserate with the athletes that are missing out on certain things? Like just, this isn't, you know, on the same level, but there's kids out there. I have a high school senior and she won't get to captain her basketball, her, sorry, soccer team because the season's ended. The school's done now, essentially for the rest of the year. Like that, that's hard for people, like whether it's a draft or whether it's their high school final season and whatever sport or proms being canceled all over the place. Do you have any advice for, for these athletes that are out there? You know, my heart goes out like especially when the NCAA tournament went down like I have, <laughs> I was in college for 4 years I know what it what it takes to even get to that point and obviously those that's dreams and accomplishments that you know some people that that would have been it for them and others would have had the for, been fortunate enough to keep going with their careers but that's not the case for everybody so my heart goes out to to everyone who's had sporting events canceled I, I think I read something on Instagram today about like a you like 13 girls team who was like first overall in their league and they would have been playing for a championship this weekend. Like I know that's tough and I think it's really hard to think about it, but we're all in the same situation, right? There's all 
all of us have something that we're sacrificing or that we're not able to do because of what's happening. But I would say like, try not to think of it as a, a last or a, this is never going to happen type thing that because that becomes disheartening. It was the same way with the Olympics being pulled out of the Olympics. Like try and find somewhere in it that there's going to be a bigger picture, like there's a, a brighter picture at the end of this. I have no idea what it looks like right now. Um, <laughs> and everybody's brighter picture is going to be different. But the universe kind of works itself out. And what you've missed out on now, I think, will either be something that comes in a, in a different way, maybe down the line, or it might just be a blessing in disguise somehow. Because you're getting more time to understand, like, I have to be myself as not as a basketball player. So I'm getting more time with her and trying to figure out what she would do if there was no sports in the world and um, what I like outside of that, right? So that there's like a bright side to things and trying to figure it out. Um, but it's not the end. And it's not the end of the world. You're alive, you're healthy, and you're well. And that's something that can't be taken for granted, especially at this time. Yeah, that's so important. And your positivity is uh, so enlightening and so needed. And thank you so much for that. Lindsay wanted me to ask you one question. How excited are you for Sabrina Inescu to get to the league? (laughs) Yeah, super excited. Obviously, you know, I think she's done so much for the game at the NCAA level. Um, She's brought in a lot of attention, a lot of eyes to the women's game. And I think that's huge, um, especially for us and what we've been trying to do over the last couple of years. So that's really exciting. And what I'm hoping now is that as the WNBA continues or whenever our season starts, people really start to follow their favorite college players or people they really loved watching in college into the WNBA to get kind of their basketball fix during the summer when the NCAA isn't on or when the NBA isn't on. Um, I think that would be huge for us just in terms of visibility and continuing to grow our league. And I think Sabrina has a unique ability to to help with that because of how much attention she's brought to the league and attention that she's brought to the game. So that is very, very exciting. Plus, I think she'll do well. Like, I think she'll come out. um, (laughs) Obviously, everybody has a learning curve. And I think she has the toughest position in the game at the point guard to come into the WNBA. But I think if anybody's ready to kind of take on that challenge, it's her. Um, my last question for you is, I know you must miss your teammates on Canada basketball so much. Do y'all like have Google Hangouts? Like I've seen some, like I know the Canadian women's national soccer team was doing that. And so with some former players, I know that the Canadian women's softball team was also, they put out this really cute uh, video on Instagram and on Twitter about them actually passing the ball to each other virtually. Um, it was great. Are you, are y'all doing that? Well, clearly we're not as creative as these other teams. Um, <laughs> No, we have a we have a very active group chat on WhatsApp, and like <laughs> it's course. really random stuff. Sometimes, like I don't. Sometimes I don't even know. But like people really enjoy a good meme. So if a good meme gets thrown in there, or like I mean, we've been doing some team meetings with kind of everybody, like coaching staff included. So sometimes I feel like we have to like be ourselves in the group chat, but like be serious when we're in the Zoom meeting online. Um, <laughs> So that's where it gets a little bit funny. And then there's like the Instagram. We're just watching everybody's Instagrams and I'm like, which one of you are on TikTok? And uh, it's a mess. <laughs> that's amazing. I had the fortune of good fortune of actually meeting Kayla Alexander recently. And she's, she was like amazing. So just sort of following her and she's baking. Are you baking right now at all? Um, the only thing I baked was buffalo chicken dip and it was fabulous. Oh, nice. <laughs> I'm wow. not eating well right now. It's not a good thing, but I mean, guilty. <laughs> is anybody though? We're all going to look the same when this is done. So it's fine. 
I wanted to thank you for being so candid. And so you're so sincere and I just adore you. And I can't wait to get up to see you in New York when this is done. One of my actual trips I had planned was a girl's trip before this pandemic broke out was to try to see a Chicago versus New York game in the summer. And I, I, I would have loved to, because you know, I have your Jersey and also because I think I'm pretty sure Kayla and Gabby are now both in Chicago and that just would have been wildly fun <laughs> to see and to to, yeah. to be there. So, I mean, I still hope that happens for me. That was definitely one of my bucket list things and hopefully it'll happen and the season will come on at some point, but there's fans out there who miss the league so much and, you know, are really rooting for you and also Canada basketball. So thank you so, so much for doing this and you know, being your awesome self. You're, you're phenomenal. You know, I adore you. Oh, thank you. It's always a pleasure. It's so much fun coming on this one. <laughs> okay. We'll talk soon. Anytime. Seriously, <laughs> girl, anytime. <laughs> All right. Well, I got a lot of we'll free talk- time right now. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We'll take it. Okay. Talk to you soon, Gia. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Next up, Brenda's interview with Dr. Natalia Petrozella. I am thrilled to finally welcome to Burn It All Down, Dr. Natalia Melman Petrozella, who we have been sort of um, fan fan womaning um, for the last few years since uh, we met her at the Burks that were at Hofstra. She is associate professor of history at the New School in New York and co-host of the fantastic Past Present Pod. She's author of Classroom Wars. And a new book in progress called Fit Nation that is going to come out at University of Chicago Press. Welcome to Burn It All Down, Natalia. Hi, thank you for having me. I am so thrilled. I too have been fan womaning you all since we met on that fateful day in Hofstra a few years ago. So I have to ask, as an historian, first of all, I feel like if a different co-host was doing this interview, they would start in a different place. But forgive me, as an historian, I mean, you've you've really researched intensely the relationship between healthcare, health, fitness, physical exercise and activity, gender. Um, how do you look at this moment of the corona pandemic? Oh, God, it is so complicated. Well, one of the things that is sort of like a key analytical thread of all of those things that you just described is that what I'm interested in is how America has become a nation obsessed with fitness and working out as a virtue. Like I always say, when I tell people I'm writing a book about fitness culture, they immediately respond, oh, I should work out or I'm going to go tomorrow or I'm going to be better about it. Like with this kind of like moral guilt that like working out is a good thing. And actually what I'm so, and I'm not writing like a, you should work out more kind of finger wagging book at all. What I'm interested in is the kind of rise and development with that obsession as America has actually evolved to not be a particularly fit place, as health and fitness has become another marker of inequality in our country. And, you know, not to give away a total spoiler, but that has a lot to do, like many things in our society, with kind of privatization, that even as we've come to celebrate working out as a virtue kind of more and more, it's essentially available only through private industry. Phys ed, extremely defunded, public recreation, community 
uh, fitness also um, really stripped away as a kind of public resource. So that's like the context for everything that I'm looking at. Um, as for this coronavirus moment, I think in some ways it's uh, revealing some of those inequalities, but also I'm hoping that it is an opportunity for us all to realize as a culture how important health well-being, the opportunity to kind of pursue fitness for yourself, how important that really is as a human right, and how like not available that is to a lot of Americans. So hopefully I think when so many of us, regardless of class, race, gender, et cetera, feel our health so imperiled, hopefully this will be a, a moment to kind of revisit some of the assumptions and some of these access issues. And with this particular, I mean, just from my perspective as well, with this particular pandemic, it seems to me one of those things that could prompt a national debate about healthcare because it's so uh, the the infection rate, how infectious it is, and the importance of everyone having healthcare for everyone. <laughs> yeah, I think that that's a really important point, and that's so much bigger in a in a crucial way than just talking about fitness, like whether you have access to a gym, right? The healthcare system, I think, is so right now up for debate because it's so clear in a pandemic situation like this how sparse our coverage is and how hard it is. To to get good care and how ill-equipped we are, humiliatingly so, for such a wealthy nation, how ill-equipped we are to take care of ourselves and each other. And so, yeah, that healthcare issue, I actually think is way more important right now than, you know, whether your gym is closed or what kind of digital fitness you have access to. That's really the big picture framing question uh, um, that we should all be asking and pushing in an election year to be the central (laughs) issue, I think. Absolutely. But also on the daily, as someone who's trying to teach and homeschool three children that did have my gym taken from me correctly, (laughs) appropriately. (laughs) You know, one of the things we talk a lot about on this show is the relationship between mental health and physical health. And I just wanted to ask you, you know, if people are struggling with one or the other, but I, I guess starting with mental health, how how do you get up for it? How do you overcome that to start the program of kind of fitness um, to get yourself motivated? Right now in Corona time or yeah, in general? Well, either way. Yeah. So, okay. So one of the things that I think is really jarring about the moment that we're in right now, and I compare it to our very recent historical moment of the 2016 presidential election. Right after Trump was elected, so many people were reeling emotionally, you know, politically. And a very sort of easy response to that was, well, do you want to feel better? Get out of your head get in your body, go to a yoga class, find community, go pound it out on the treadmill, etc. And this whole kind of fitness wellness space actually, I think, assumed real importance in people's lives beyond just getting thin or looking pretty or taking a selfie. It was really like self-care in this most sort of elevated sense. And for me, And it sounds like for you, who I know is a runner too, it was a very, very important. And I can't can't tell you how many interviews I did, like talking about the rise of those spaces is important in 2016. 
in this corona moment where people are also feeling scared and shocked and unmoored and terrified, one of the things that I find particularly disorienting, particularly having just experienced 2016, is that all of a sudden those spaces my God, a hot yoga class? They're the most dangerous ones to go to. We're being told, actually, that's selfish of you to go somewhere like that when those places were still open a couple weeks ago. And two, that's actually poses a huge danger to your own health and to those of others. And to me, that was some real uh, cognitive dissonance, to say the least, right? And I'm, you know, I'm not proud of the fact that I was, you know, going pretty late in the game to the gym because for me, for my mental health, that is just such an important kind of part of my life. And so probably beyond the point when it was a smart move to do so from a public health perspective, I was like there with my wipes on the treadmill, like pounding it out at 8 p.m. So now to like a better answer to your question of like, so what do I, what am I doing now or what can people do? Well, I think there's no question right now that like we should not be exercising in groups as wonderful as the group is. I do think, particularly if you're in situations like you and me, where we have children at home and families and are like in it all the time, the power, if you're in an area where this is still possible, of going outside by yourself. For me, it's been running recently, which I hate running in the winter. I don't even like running that much. I've been like out there for an hour, an hour and a half, like just to have that time in the fresh air and by myself. It's less about the run and more about the solitude and the outdoors. And I think that's something super powerful. But even, you know, to give, again, not my so much my scholarly perspective, but that of like, just what I'm doing in my life. You know, today there were 45 minutes when my children both had some sort of like online learning commitment and it happened to be sunny out. And I just like pulled up a workout on my phone and went in the backyard for 40 minutes to just do that. It changed my whole day, you know? And it's it's so easy to think you don't have time for that. And I don't always have time for 40 minutes, but I think making the time for 15, 20, 30 minutes of movement, sometimes even with my kids, but preferably on my own, it is a real game changer. And I think it's a really just good practice for ourselves. Like you don't need to scroll Twitter for another 10 minutes. Like you don't need to answer that email (laughs) for another 15 or 20, but we tell ourselves that we have to, and that it's so urgent when really that 15 to 20 minutes could make a big difference in our life if we committed it to movement. And I mean, in the broadest sense of any sort, really. Although these days I think outside and on your own, if you're living in a crowded house is not a bad idea. What do you think will happen with gyms kind of on a national level after after this? Uh, it's a really good question. And I think on the one hand right now, so many people are realizing, God, I miss the gym or I'd really like to go to the gym or I, or this moment, these few minutes of working out I do digitally are actually so important and grounding for me. So in some ways you can imagine a kind of boom happening after this, right? And people really, um, getting re-energized to participate in those spaces. On the other hand, economically, like the industry, you know, it's a tough 
tough space, particularly in expensive real estate markets. And I have no doubt that a lot of the smaller studios in expensive real estate markets are probably going to fold because there's no way that they can, you know, keep paying rent and paying their people and stay closed for possibly months on end. Um, a lot of fitness trainers are really, really having a hard time right now. You know, they're pivoting to online, but so many um, other, so many businesses are doing free online programming. So it becomes kind of hard for a lot of people who are also financially struggling to say, well, I'm going to keep paying a trainer 50 or 60 or $100 an hour for an online experience when there's all this free online content. And that's a real conversation um, in the fitness community now. I mean, I've seen both fitness professionals who I really, really respect saying, you know what, in this moment, people are struggling. They need what I've got to give. I'm creating all this like really great free online content. I've seen other people who I respect tremendously saying, don't give this all away for free. I've just had all my clients not be able to, to meet with me. I've just had all the places I teach classes pull me from the schedule. And there are very few labor protections in those environments. All I have is digital. Why are you all giving this away for free? Nobody will sign up and keep this industry going. And I really, really see both sides of it. And I think it's extremely challenging. And there are going to be reverberations in that industry for a long time on the labor side. And that's one that doesn't get emphasized emphasized enough, I think, when we think about what fitness means in our culture, like the people, what I call it, doing the work of working out, the trainers, the instructors, the managers, you know, et cetera, because a lot of them are, you know, that is like a real proletariat kind of position and doesn't often get recognized as such. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's a whole discussion too, just in general, that might affect sort of more working class contingent labor in fitness, which is, you know, the fact that the essential employees right now, <laughs> besides the bankers, are minimum wage employees. Yeah. And what does that mean? I mean, what does that reveal about, you know, the real skeleton of a society? Oh, yeah, no, I, th I think that that's right. But I don't think anybody is calling personal trainers essential workers right now, right? Oh, no, 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 no. No, but yeah. I mean, the things that you miss, the things that you love, the things that you see as essential, right. something like this sort of lays bare what that is. And yeah. so it'll be interesting to see as there's kind of discussions about workers' rights that hopefully stick around, mm -hmm. how that might sort of address the situation of very precarious labor conditions of people working at gyms, working in fitness more broadly. Yeah, I think so too. I think that that's right. You know, there's this piece that I wrote a while ago in public seminar. And one of the points that I made in there about, and I've said this elsewhere too, about why there isn't a lot of labor solidarity among fitness professionals is at least two reasons. Well, one, it's a pretty new field in terms of people seeing this as their profession. Like when I do oral histories with people who made their careers in very big ways in like the 1980s or 90s in this world, none of them really envisioned that they were going to be fitness professionals. They kind of were auditioning for dance or other things and were teaching on the side. And then all of a sudden they're on magazine covers and like, this is what they do. And, you know, and, and it sort of happened in that way. 
that's one reason. The, and that that's beginning to change, but not entirely. It's still like a bit of a side hustle for a lot of people, particularly women who are whose labor is always devalued for many reasons we can discuss. But then another reason is also that in the fitness world, often rebranded as the wellness world, so much a part of what you put out there and being successful is the image of living your best life. And so if you're on social media, you know, all day and in your, in front of a studio and working with clients and projecting, I'm healthy, I'm happy, I'm fulfilled, I'm balanced, all those things. That's part of the reason people gravitate towards you because they think fitness is a path to all of those things. The minute you start saying, I feel sick. My joints hurt. I don't have sick leave. I need to get up at, at four o'clock in the morning in my neighborhood and travel hours to, to teach a 6 a.m. class, you know, in an, in an affluent neighborhood. The minute they start pointing out all of those very real struggles that they face, that begins to puncture the image of, Hey, look at me living my best life and make them. It's a huge risk to take professionally, but on the other hand, not taking that risk perpetuates this image of perfection, which can undermine possibilities for like real activism and solidarity. So it's a really, really tough thing. And I think that now I've seen actually some changes happening and some more sort of outspokenness about the precariousness of this kind of labor. Just the other day, someone tagged me on Instagram that uh, Les Mills, which is a very big fitness company that has kind of like branded content in gyms all over the world. So if you go to a body pump class in London, it'll be the same body pump class pretty much you take in Kansas City. And that's because it's, it's branded group fitness. So it's Les Mills and Zumba, which I'm sure many of your listeners have heard of, they wrote a letter together to Congress saying that fitness trainers and fitness professionals should be included in any kind of bailout because they are part of this, you know, precarious contingent labor force. There hasn't been that much of that kind of activism. Yes, among some yoga instructors, but this is, I think, more might be in a new chapter. And I think that is really awesome. Mm-hmm. That's such an important analysis and, and I really appreciate it. Okay, couple fun questions to get away from here, so just to end, yeah, you know, in a little lightness side. in the dark times. <laughs> Shireen asks, have you had any like pet faux pas? Faux um, pas. I have <laughs> no pets. All I have is, oh, faux pas. That's fine. Really cute. I have no pets. <laughs> I have two children who do make lots of Zoom appearances. So they would, be, they would be mad <laughs> if I called them pets. But I think it's actually okay. Like I've been teaching these YouTube live fitness classes on Thursdays at noon Eastern, if anyone wants to mm-hmm. join me. And, yeah. you know, usually when I do kind of online content, you know, like part of what you're trying to show is a professional environment and you've got the lighting and you put on your makeup and all these things. But I think right now, like real life is that we've got kids around, we've got life happening and we're all just trying to make it and we're all just trying to do our best. And so I actually was like, you know what? These are my kids. Like come in, you want to do a few moves? And it's totally fine because I actually think that's, you know, that's what we're living with. And if we're going to wait for perfection, like it's not going to happen. I mean, you and I are talking, we scheduled this because it's when all of our kids are in bed. I can still hear mine talking in the background, but you know what? <laughs> like it's okay. Cause otherwise this wouldn't happen. And if I waited for the perfect moment to like do my YouTube workout, it would not happen because there is no quiet right now. And that's okay. <laughs> you know, we're just all trying to do our best and it really is enough. I think we got to remember that. 
<laughs> and I like to ask, because I am a big, big outside runner, what are you listening to when you're running right now? Well, I just finished listening to this amazing podcast, which is called Dying for Sex. Have you listened to it? Not yet. Oh my God. It is. I mean, I warn you, it's a little dark for the times that we're in right now, but it's really amazing. It's a wondery podcast and it's about a, a, two women who are best friends and one gets diagnosed with stage four breast cancer and decides to go on these like, but listen, she's very sort of funny about it. And she goes on like all these sexual escapades to like feel alive again. And so she's telling all these funny stories and it's a really beautifully done podcast. So I do think like maybe you need something like even lighter in these moments than than that podcast right now. But um, I just finished listening to it and it kept me going for a lot of miles. So I do recommend mm, it. That's very cool. We love other podcast recommendations. <laughs> and finally, is there anything we should be looking for that you're working on right now? New stuff? Yes. Well, you know, in between like educating my children and being a janitor and lunch lady <laughs> and all those things yep. these days, I'm trying to finish this book, Fit Nation, which hopefully will still be out next year if I can just get it done. And then I also have been working on a brand new podcast with Nikki and Neil, my co-host from Past Present, which I can't mm -hmm. say much about. Out, but it's very different. It's narrative history. It's about the 80s. It's freaking awesome. Mm. And that should be out at the end of April. So I say should because I feel like the whole world is up in the air right now. But um, yeah, definitely look for that too. We sure will. Well, Natalia, thank you so much for coming on Burn It All Down. Thank you so much. I feel really honored. You guys always have great guests. So thank you. to our favorite part of the show, the burn pile. Lindsay, can you get us started on what you're going to burn? Of course. <laughs> it's our good friends at the U.S. Olympic and Paralympic Committee. So first of all, a mini burn, I guess, goes to the IOC, which might make a uh, another appearance on this burn pile but Gwen Berry's quote to me was that they were you know she was complaining about how they waited so long to make this decision that it really impacted athletes lives like they were just they kept waiting she compared it to a toxic relationship waiting for the IOC to make a decision on the Olympics this year and it really threw everything off like now a lot of athletes are trapped in places indefinitely where like they can't travel back to their families because of the virus whereas like if this decision was made uh, at an earlier date you know even just a few weeks ago they could have planned some contingencies a lot better so she was not happy with that but also the u.s olympic and paralympic committee this week we've there's a big huge stimulus bill that will mainly go to big corporations that the u.s congress passed this week and will hobson reported at the washington post that one of the organizations trying to get a taste of the pie was the u.s olympic and Par paralympic committee who requested 200 million dollars from the stimulus package sent a message to Congress saying, I know you guys are swamped. I'm just circling back, <laughs> which I just think is the funniest thing. Uh, so of course, athletes need assistance, but $50 million of this requested help would have gone to the top aspiring athletes, whereas the other $150 million would have gone to the national governing bodies, the nonprofits that are 
all pretty corrupt, as we've discussed regularly on the show. While I do think we need to figure out a way to better help these athletes, obviously, this was the wrong way to go about it through lobbying efforts and through a group that's never been federally funded before. So John Manley, who's a leading attorney for a lot of the Nasser victims, said, this is not about athletes. This is about the blue blazer, white shoe wearing country club types at the USOC and these national governing bodies. And I agree with him. Like, I think while, you know, this was just not the time and this was absolutely not the way to go about it. And so once again, the U.S. Olympic and Paralympic Committee is tone deaf and they don't actually have the best interest of athletes in mind. They just want to make sure they can still take their get their corporate hotels comped. Burn. Burn. Brenda? Okay, we can just stay on the Olympics. Um, So building... (laughs) Building off of, of Lindsay's burn, um, I was really sad to read that at least seven people have tested positive for the coronavirus that participated in an event that the IOC began on March 14th, a boxing event. Just let that sit in. So even the Premier League had already canceled by that point. And they continued uh, to hold this event, the Olympic Committee of Turkey. And this comes from um, the New York Times and a lot of other outlets like the BBC. So this made you know pretty major news that the Olympic Committee of Turkey um, believed that the three boxers and coach all caught it while participating in this boxing qualifying event. And these boxers because exactly precisely as Lindsay referred to, because the Olympics were not called off until so late, the boxers had absolutely no choice if they wanted to qualify, but to participate in this qualifying tournament. And so I would like to burn everyone's ridiculousness, but particularly Thomas Bach, um, president of the IOC. Burn. 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 I'm up next. And I'm I'm real mad about this. I'm mad at many things. And there's many layers of my anger, but I'll start with Dana Wade and the UFC. We all know he's a terrible, terrible person. But what made me really angry, and I want to shout out the work of Zidane Karim, my friend. He's a Vancouver-based sports writer who focuses on martial arts and um, UFC stuff. He had written an article for the guardian about how badly the ufc was handling the coronavirus pandemic and this was like march 15th and just to top it off i'm even more angry because a couple of days ago mark Raimondi of espn just published an article about habib norma gomedov who is like this world famous ufc writer fighter not writer he's not a writer um and how the focus of this piece was on Ramadan. Okay, I, for one, like pieces that are well-written with different perspectives about athletes fasting in the holy month of Ramadan, which is a month for Muslims. But not right now, not in a global pandemic. Like, I'm really not interested right now, especially when top Muslim scholars in the entire world who never agree on anything agree that all mosques should actually be shut right now. When, like, the holiest place for Muslims, like in Mecca, the Kaaba, is, like, closed because of a global pandemic. These people are talking about actually setting a fight, and they want to set it before Ramadan starts, which is end of April. So, basically... 
Norma Gomedov was like, yes, I would really like the focus of my concentration to be Ramadan. Okay, brah, you want to just talk about survival of a global pandemic virus that's killing people? Stay under the fucking cage. Like, and the worst part is Dana White is pushing for this, pushing for the spike to happen in April. He's taking leadership from, oh my God, President Cheeto. And like, it's like terrible. Like all of this is terrible, terrible because he's conflating his commitment to religion, which infuriates me when men use this for their own convenience, but also not paying attention to the lives and the welfare of so many people. It's all terrible. And like, I just, in this article that Mark Raimondi did, which I do appreciate, I would have appreciated more under different circumstances, i.e. people not dying all over the world, was Bilal Ahmed was the voice that he featured, who's another UFC fighter who's Muslim, but is not at the same level as Norma Gomedov. So he talks about how he doesn't have the pull to be able to say, I'm not going to fight between this period and this period because of Ramadan. So Bilal Muhammad has to go fight for financial reasons. So there's another layer of it being so shitty financially for some athletes who are not well known that they don't feel they have a choice. I hate all of this. I especially hate Dana White. You're a jerk. Like, you really are the highest order of a twat waffle. I can't fucking stand you. And you're trying to literally, like, organize a fight. Nobody cares about your fucking fight, Dana White. I hate you. And go to the burn pile, all of it. Burn. Can I believe we, we pulled out the T word? Oh, my God. Okay. Sorry, I'm all fiery and mad. Amira. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm here for it. Yeah, I want to burn Delaware North and Bruins owner Jeremy Jacobs. Um, I'm so irritated. Uh, you know, I've we've all talked about this and burned a number of times the way that owners have acted with their arena workers. So Delaware North is the um, owner and operator of the TD Garden, where both the Bruins and the Celtics play. So the Bruins were the last team in the NHL to announce any sort of fund or relief or help towards their arena workers. They were so delayed that Massachusetts Attorney General Maura Healey called them out very publicly saying, Jeremy Jacobs is one of the richest people in the world. This is shameful. Workers should contact their office to ensure their rights are being protected. And she added, as a fan, I'm deeply disappointed. Me fucking too. After being the last organization to announce their plans to support Game D employees, <laughs> their announcement itself was a bunch of bullshit. Basically, Jacobs, who's worth upwards of $3 billion, said him and his family established a $1 million fund for team employees and garden workers, but, asterisk here, this fund would only be available if the Bruins' six remaining regular scheduled games are not played. Meaning, no, nothing can be accessed right now because he's waiting to see what the league decides to do about these six remaining games. And that could take weeks. It could take months. And people don't have that amount of time. You can't tell your landlord, okay, weeks. Like when I get paid in two months from this fund, then maybe you'll get your rent. Like people can't survive like that. To top it all off, Delaware North, who again owns the TD Garden, has now announced that starting as of April 1st, all part-time employees, again, these arena workers, are completely laid off, all of them. In addition, 68 full-time employees are on temporary leave, oh, and 80, another 82 full-time employees had their salaries reduced. So what you have here is Delaware North, Jeremy Jacobs, 
both combining to create an atmosphere for the TD Garden workers where they have no pay, no recourse, no relief fund. The mar- the largest amount of money that they have going to them was a crowdfunded GoFundMe, otherwise known in the United States as like our biggest healthcare provider. A crowdfunded GoFundMe that Bruins players themselves started donating to. That is the only money that they have at any access to because Jaren Jacobs is so greedy that he he puts strings on the fund to help people like he's not worth billions of dollars like I the greed in capitalism it's killing us it's fucking killing us like just I don't know burn it down (laughs) just okay last and least I want to talk about um the experts out here talking about stuff first this is my mini burn i learned this morning that at some point in the last few days uh what did you call donald trump shireen cheeto something president cheetos Um, yeah thank you that he reached out to former yankee alex rodriguez for advice (laughs) on the coronavirus response so dumb so about mad libs so (laughs) so you know, mini burn there. But my main one is I want to throw onto the burn pile metaphorically, as Brenda always says, Clay Travis. I don't know how to describe him. And I thought about this a long time. I was like, dude, bro. (laughs) Uh, I guess technically he's a Fox Sports pundit. Sam Rakaliff in a piece at Outline a a month ago, he wrote about Travis and COVID-19. He described Travis this way, quote, Travis is not an epidemiologist or a medical professional of any kind. He's a Nashville-based radio host in the mush of a little watch gambling show on Fox Sports 1. Okay. So (laughs) Travis has built a career off of telling anyone who thinks sports and politics belong in the same conversation to instead stick to sports. Travis, of course, has made his whole career off of being a politically conservative talking head railing against the libs, all under the guise of talking sports. He has a book titled Republicans by Sneakers 2, How the Left is Ruining Sports with Politics, and the cover is, I shit you not, Donald Trump dunking a basketball, Michael Jordan style, over Colin Kaepernick. So to say the least, to say the least, I am not a Clay Travis fan. And now, in this moment of global pandemic, well, apparently, unfortunately, yeah, I mean, this is the problem. And now, so in the moment of this global pandemic, Travis has, apparently, I only know this because people screenshot him because I think I blocked him a long time ago. Travis has apparently continued to parrot (laughs) Trump-led GOP talking points. So he's gone from, quote, I believe the coronavirus is overrated and we are overreacting to it because it is a new and novel fear. The flu happens every year and affects far more people than the coronavirus does in late February to saying things like, quote, thankfully, we are finally starting to have a conversation about balancing our health concerns with the state of our economy earlier this week. Like, he is literally Fox News doing sports, I guess. So, you know, man, shut up. I assume people who love (laughs) Travis are not listening to this podcast. But just in case anyone is, I just feel like I need to say, don't take medical or health advice from this person. Honestly, don't take any advice from this person, but certainly not when it comes to people's lives or their care or in terms of economics. My goodness. Travis should, dare I say it, stick to sports. Ugh, burn. (laughs) Burn. 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 After all that 
fiery burning. We are going to raise up some amazing people. Honorable mentions go to Spain's female football referees, many of whom who are on the front line against the coronavirus as medical professionals. Beautiful article in Yahoo Sports this week about that. I'd like to mention Paige Breckers, Gatorade High School Girls Player of the Year. Congratulations to her. South Carolina's Dawn Staley is the AP Coach of the Year. Congratulations to Coach Staley. Also, congratulations to Basketball Australia, who announced this week that they've won the bid to host the 2022 Basketball World Cup in Sydney, Australia. We wish happy retirement to three stalwarts of the Jordanian women's national football team, that began in 2005, Yasmin Khair, Shorouk Shazli, and Captain Stephanie Al-Nabar. Al-Nabar is the most capped player in the team's history with 128 appearances and now chairs the Women's Committee in the Jordan FA. Congratulations to all the university athletes, NCAA and NAIA, who won first-team All-American honors, including Jinsey Dunn of Ohio State Women's Hockey and Brittany Brewer of Texas Tech Basketball, Grace Berry of Concordia University Basketball, and Sydney Kopp of DePaul Basketball. Congratulations to you. Can I get a drum roll, please? Our... Baddest woman of the week is Brazilian futsal legend Amandinha, who made history and has been named Player of the Year for her sport six times in a row. That's more than anyone else ever in football, futsal, or beach football. Congratulations to you. Phew. What's good, Lindsay? <laughs> Sorry, just such a load of question right now. Um, it's just like the past two days, like it's been like, all right, okay, this is. Uh, I've started to like see that anyone who has a yard or like a front porch, because I just live in an apartment, so I pretty much hate every single person on the earth right now when they're posting their photos. But anyways, uh, what is good though is Zoom calls with friends that have helped me, um, or FaceTime or Google Hangouts. It's always a crapshoot which one exactly but this has been a good time to connect with my friends it's my mom's 70th birthday so even though she still has no idea what a podcast is i Aww. want to wish her happy birthday she still uses podcasts and newsletter interchangeably <laughs> when she's talking to me <laughs> about my work and speaking of newsletter might as well you know work is all i can think about these days so adding freelancers to the mix so i what i've decided to do is to use the money that I had budgeted to do travel for power plays. And instead, I'm redirecting that to freelancers. And it has been a big adjustment for me because I'm talking through pitches with people and editing and, you know, planning out a calendar. And it, anyways, it's, it's, it's a big adjustment, but it's very exciting to be bringing some new voices to power plays. It's exciting. It's scary. And I think this week you'll start to see the first few freelancer contributions coming in. And yeah, we'll see. So that's that is exciting to me. It's it's you know trying to figure out a different way to grow my business during this time and I can't think of any better way than investing in other writers and investing in more writing about women's sports. So that's all happening at powerplays.news. So that's exciting. Awesome. That's awesome. Brent? <laughs> 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 
I'm like trying. I'm about to try really hard to sound genuine and positive. So you can do it, Bryn. I love you. Thank you. I'm grateful for um, my training in working alone. Years of writing a history PhD dissertation um, is a—it's very solitary. <laughs> and I feel like I will say that it's been okay to work alone. Um, that's pretty good, I guess. What's 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 good? What's keeping me together is my students who are zooming in, who are trying their best, who also you know, try to come to their Zoom university with a smile. I put a bad bunny in a Pokemon <laughs> outfit behind me, and then I line up my head so it looks <laughs> like I'm in the Pokemon thing. It's and epic. It was hilarious to see them log on and then like spit out their coffee. <laughs> um, and so I really appreciated them showing up, those who can. Of course, my kids and all of Burn It All Down people that let me do things like send them pictures of me in um, bunny onesies in my Zoom. <laughs> Did you see his latest video, Bren? That would make you happy. It does make me happy. Bad Bunny always makes me happy. Um, you know, always makes me happy. And my kids and, um, oh, Lindsay, please don't hate me. The fact that I have a yard. I'm very grateful. I'm sorry. I do. I mean, I don't hate you, but I, I do. Yes. I know. Okay. I'm so but enjoy it. If you're not enjoying it, then that's even worse. So, I am. Yeah. We're playing a lot of soccer outside and um, doing our best. And so that's what's good. I love you, Bren and Bad Bunny and Brenda. I need to do a duo uh, that would make <laughs> me really happy and be part of my what's good. Um, I am so bored in so many ways that I'm trying to entertain myself. And I've started doing fashion shows on Instagram of myself Ooh, and whatever I'm good. wearing. Oh, uh, thank you. I think so. You, you all might be surprised, but she's very committed to it. So. <laughs> Like my kids, I, I get them. eye rolls. I mean, I've done everything on like Twitter and social media. I, my friend Bill Case of Bill Kadir texted me. She's like, "Put your phone all the way down." And this was specifically <laughs> after, specifically after I unintentionally, or perhaps intentionally, proposed to Serge Ibaka, and that tweet got quite a lot of attention. Which is was like, "Oops!" My again, my, I love my kids. They were just eye rolling. So the other thing that brought me a lot of joy this week was the Rotterdam Symphony Orchestra performed. Uh, Ode to Joy, Beethoven's Ode to Joy via like Zoom. I like, I mean, our team meetings for Burn It All Down are wild and there's only five or six of us. So I don't know. They actually performed this beautiful piece of music via like digital, whatever. It was just, I'm not huge on Beethoven's music. I prefer Vivaldi. But my point is, is that this particular piece just made me cry the way it was done and their commitment to bringing that said joy to the world. And I'm, you know, I'm holding on tight to music and those happy things these days. Um, my kids are going to their dads and we've adjusted the schedule. So they're gone for a little bit longer. So it's going to be a tough two weeks for me because it's a really long time. But again, yay for digital stuff, keeping, seeing the faces and hearing the voices of not just my Brennan All Down family, but for all my digital family and friends. And I love you all very, very much. I just wanted to shout out happy birthday, happy 14th birthday to my baby, Mustafa. I love you very much. And your napkin making creativity makes dinner 
so much better and so much, so much, so much more fun. So I love you very much. Mira. Yeah. So um, I, everybody it seems right now is making use of Instagram live to do DJing parties, concerts. Um, I just want to highlight two that made me smile this week. One, um, Tori Kelly and Jojo combined and Jojo who Boston girl, she <laughs> she was is like middle school nostalgia for me. Um, but she's really good at remixing songs. Like her cover of Marvin's Room by Drake is like my favorite thing. Anyways, so she rewrote her, her like first hit, which was Leave when they go get out. You know. Okay. Anyways, so she remixed that to do a coronavirus one that was like stay in, and I really appreciated that. So that made me happy. And then just last night, Tamia and Deborah Cox, who are apparently Canadian. Okay, go Black Canadians. Yeah, Deborah um, Cox. Yo, she's from Toronto. Yes, I I, I discovered this. Um, as like, oh, Shreen's <laughs> people. Anyways, they duetted a cover of Count on Me by Whitney Houston, which was just phenomenal and, and very soothing. I also watched Uncorked on Netflix, which is new. It's with Nisi Nass and Courtney Vance and um, a bunch of other newcomers. Um, and it's about a, a relationship between a father and a son, a black father and son in Memphis and the son's desire to be a sommelier. And I've learned so much about what it takes to be in like the wine business. It was fascinating. And then I just wanted to send a shout out to one of my many moms, Nancy, who has been retired, but is somehow also an essential employee right now. So I'm not quite sure how she's done this, but she's basically working as in a volunteer basis for the housing authority in, in our part of Western Massachusetts. Um, and she's heads the task force that deals with the emergency assistance in, in public health and homelessness and housing insecurity. And so she is still going to work as a, a volunteer um, multiple days a week to try to make sure everybody who needs housing during this time has has that as we all try to fight this pandemic. And so I just want to shout her out. And also I got really comfortable pants from Target. <laughs> and that makes me happy. Amazing. Jess? Yeah, it's a harder week for sure. I'm just, I guess my big thing is that we timed this all perfectly. We just uh, screened in our back porch and then we got a ping pong table for it. And so we've been having family ping pong tournaments. It's a little rough because Aaron is really good at ping pong. <laughs> and it's really hard to beat. But yesterday, I only lost by four points uh, in one match. Yay. So I'm almost there. He doesn't let anyone win. Like, that's just not part of his ethos. So <laughs> I guess my quarantine goal is to beat Aaron. I literally yesterday, we, we played and I won the first point in a match and yelled, I'm winning. Like, so loud that the entire neighborhood could probably have heard me. So, um, but it's been, that's just been a lot of fun. And that's probably the best thing that's been going on right now. That's it for this week and Burn It All Down. Although we are done for now, you can always burn all day and all night with our fabulous array of merchandise, including mugs, pillows, tees, hoodies, bags, what better way to crush toxic patriarchy in sports and sports media and even surviving this stay-at-home 
by getting someone you love a pillow with our logo on it. Burn It All Down lives on SoundCloud, but can be found on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, and TuneIn. We appreciate your reviews and feedback, so please subscribe and rate and let us know what we did well and how we can improve. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram at Burn It All Down Pod and on Twitter at Burn It Down Pod. You can email us at burnitalldownpod at gmail.com. Check out our website, www.burnitalldownpod.com, where you will find previous episodes, transcripts, and a link to our Patreon. We would appreciate you subscribing, sharing, and rating the show, which helps us do the work we love to do and keep burning what needs to be burned. We wish you safety and health and whatever joys you can muster during this chaotic and unprecedented time. And as Brenda always says, burn on and not out. Come on.